Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus on whether the recent price action in risk assets is justified in light of some concerning factors that have the potential to yield market turbulence and set back the pacing of the pandemic recovery. Uh, joining me here on the line for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, uh, Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment office. So, Jason, welcome back. Hope you had a nice weekend. Uh, looking forward to our conversation today. Good morning, Dan. It's good to be here. Absolutely. So, Jason, you think about the past week, we have witnessed an assortment of headlines that uh, do seem a bit worrisome, and those headlines span everything from COVID-19 infections, an uptick there, and that's really a product of this Delta variant spread, as well as lackluster economic data. Yet the momentum in U.S. equities has largely persisted. We're even seeing some upside indicated in the futures here this morning. I know the chief investment office, Jason, believes that this investor activity is justified. Why is that exactly? Well, Dan, you mentioned that some of the recent economic data has been a bit lackluster. I think it's, it's fallen perhaps a little bit short of very optimistic expectations. So I think we have to differentiate between, you know, level below expectations versus the absolute level. And economic activity, you know, growth is still very, very strong. Uh, it was over 6% in the quarter, and there's reasons why that was probably understated. Uh, and it's likely to be at that level for the, you know, the second half this year. So there was a lot of concerns between either that data disappointing, but also because of the Delta variant, the concerns that it would have in terms of slowing economic activity, slowing the reopening and recovery of certain sectors of the economy, and, you know, worst case scenario, potentially leading to, you know, further lockdowns or restrictions that weigh on growth, not just in the U.S., but globally. Uh, and those fears really kind of were peaking out about two weeks ago. And what we've seen since then is, well, the Delta variant has escalated in the U.S. It's kind of declined elsewhere. I think it's also the case that people look at it and realize, well, yes, this is, you know, it's it's worrisome that the number of cases are rising, but its actual impact on economic activity is going to be probably you know, relatively minimized. So what gives us confidence in that the, you know, the, the outlook is still remains positive is that growth is still very, very good. And it will be for the rest of this year and, and into next, well, into next year, I think investors have become probably a little too cautious, both on the near-term and the long-term outlook. Uh, you know, we see even in Europe, uh, you know, growth data was you know weak in the second quarter because they had lockdown restrictions. It now looks like it's accelerated in the second, the third quarter, uh, and that could be true in other regions as well. Uh, so very strong growth, you know, U.S. globally gives us kind of comfort that there's more upside for equities. The other factor is on the policy side. Uh, back in mid-June, there was a Fed meeting well, where the result was interpreted by the market to be more hawkish than expected. Since that time, you know, Fed Chair Jay Powell you know, has been able to kind of walk that back. And last week, there was an FOMC meeting where he kind of you know, continued to sort of stay that line, where it's allowed the markets to sort of almost fully reverse what they reacted to back in June. Uh, and it kind of gives comfort that the Fed is still very much supportive of the economy. They're not going to withdraw policy anytime soon, and that's favorable. And then on the fiscal side, you know, we just had even overnight, you know, you know, moving forward of the infrastructure deal, the bipartisan deal in the Senate, that's likely to move towards a vote uh, in the Senate this week, which makes the likelihood of it passing, you know, that much higher. So, again, more fiscal support coming out until like 2022 and beyond, but, you know, again, more positive policy support. So between good growth, positive policy support, those are really the fundamental drivers that we, you know, give us comfort that the momentum in equities will continue. You know, the pace may moderate going forward. But there's still the tailwind is still there. 
which is hard to, you know, with that, it's hard to be kind of overly bearish in terms of, of the outlook for equities near term. Jason, you do sound fairly optimistic on the growth outlook. However, how do you square that with falling rates that imply concerns about growth? Well, you know, we've had this move in rates that really began significantly in June after that FOMC meeting. So when the markets that are interpreted the Fed as being hawkish, the thought is that they're not going to let inflation go high. They're going to be aggressive and curtailing that move. Uh, so as a result, there's a lot of position adjustment. So the initial move that we saw in June was really about investors kind of being stopped out of positions. You know, if they were short bonds, they had to buy them back. And that was what led rates to, to decline. And it wasn't so much the fundamental story. Now, you could see over the past few weeks that maybe the rates are reflecting, again, this more pessimistic outcome on growth. But there's still signs of, kind of these technicals and position data, you know, being the, you know, the dominant driver. Uh, and some of that, it just comes down to your July being sort of a month in which there's a relatively little new supply of new treasuries. Well, the demand from investors from the Fed in terms of its QE purchases remains high. So again, gives a sort of support for bond prices, which means, you know, lower rates all else we call. And I think another thing is that when we've seen the move in rates, we tend to kind of you know, get these overshoots or undershoots, as it may be. Uh, back in March, we had a big move higher in rates that began in February. Uh, you know, the tenure up to about 1.75%, and people thought it was going to continue to go to higher. The law about, well, rates, you know, reach 2% or more. What are the implications for equities? And really, at that point in time, they probably overshot on the upside in terms of yield. And now it's a, the reverse has happened where the rates have declined. There's some momentum that's caused them to further decline. Now people are interpreting that as a negative signal of growth, but it's probably more of an overshoot on the downside in terms of where rates should be. On the fundamentals, they really should be higher. So I think it's kind of the case where rates are kind of giving a bit of a misleading signal right now. And at some point, you know, later this quarter, we expect them to kind of start to catch up. Jason, to reinforce the point, the chief investment office does see further upside in equities, though. Are there any particular sectors or even regions, Jason, that stand to fare the best? Well, if we start with the market overall, you know, we have the S&P 500 around you know, 4,400, at least oscillating around that level. And our year-end target is like 45.50. So not necessarily a huge amount of upside between now and year-end for the overall markets. But I think where you're going to see, you know, some you know, relative performances in some sectors that played for the past month or even two have really kind of lagged. And that's more the value sectors, including things like financials and energy, that these are more economically sensitive, um, that were impacted by, you know, growth fears. They've been impacted by concern, like, you know, interest rates declining. That certainly hurts financials all else equal. On the flip side, you see growth stocks you know, do quite well. Uh, but in an environment in which we see growth is actually quite strong and people kind of get more comfortable with the growth outlook, in which policy is still very supportive, you know, these two factors I just mentioned before, those factors should give us you know, a bit of a continuation of the inflation trade that's really been on pause for a few months. And that's been playing for much of the second half of last year, really basically the first quarter of this year. So we think that's really where the, you know, the kind of performance is going to kick in. Um, you know, just to give perspective, Growth stocks have outperformed the value stocks by almost 12 percentage points over the past two months. If you look at the past 20 years, that is an extreme outlier in terms of relative outperformance. It gets, there's only a you know, handful of cases where that's happened. Uh, and when it does happen, usually you get some mean reversion, meaning that you know, value stocks will now outperform in growth stocks to kind of you know, make up for some of that underperformance. So even if the overall market only kind of moves up you know, a little bit higher through year end, 
you're likely to see this rotation where value kind of drives it more so than, than growth does. So those are the areas that we like in the U.S. And, and kind of globally at this point in time. Now, Jason, you did mention a few moments ago how the reopening and recovery trend here in the U.S., it does remain on track despite these recent developments surrounding the Delta variant that we're tracking very closely. How are other parts of the world, the Eurozone, Asia-Pac, how are they faring relative to the U.S. when it comes to the reopening and recovering trend? Well, they have definitely lagged the U.S. in terms of the reopening. A lot of that you could say is due to the vaccine rollout, where it was about two to three months behind in Europe. And now what we've seen in Europe is that the, the total number of shots on a per capita basis now matches the U.S. So vaccination rates are you know, very similar. Uh, that's allowed you know, many European economies to kind of open up, you know, starting late in the second quarter and now much more fully in the summer. Uh, whereas the U.S. economy was already starting to open up more fully back, you know, even a late Q1. So as that continues to roll out, we're going to see European growth really accelerate in the third quarter. Uh, it had 2% growth in the second quarter, which is you know, quite a bit below the 6% plus in the U.S. Now we could easily see 6% or higher in Europe. If we go to other parts of the world, you know, Japan is an example. Uh, they're even further behind in the vaccination process, but it's ramping up. Uh, it's only got a lot of attention because of what's with the Olympics. I think that's kind of fed into some pessimism about Japan. But the fundamentals there should also benefit from, you know, the global economy recovering and the vaccination process continuing such that they might be about two to three months behind Europe. So by later this quarter, Japan is likely to start to accelerate going into the fourth quarter. And that applies to other emerging markets, especially in the APAC region that have been impacted by rising COVID cases and rising Delta cases. Uh, we expect that sort of almost on a rolling basis, economies to open up. And therefore, globally, even though there's been a lot of concern about sort of peak growth, really what we're seeing is probably peak global acceleration only in this quarter and almost more of a plateauing at growth at an elevated level through the end of this year. So given that, we still see some opportunities outside of the, the U.S. Um, and it's going to probably benefit as this reopening continues. You know, so an area that we've liked is Japan equities, which has been impacted negatively recently because of these rising COVID cases. But the fundamental story still looks positive, and we think that's going to kind of you're going to get that catch-up trade you know, later in this quarter and going into the fourth quarter as well. Jason, on a more near-term basis, looking out over the next few days, I understand that there is a lot occurring and even real-time at the moment with respect to infrastructure. It's very fluid. But what's happening over the next week that you will be monitoring that has the potential to be market-moving? Well, the biggest data point to watch this week is the July payrolls number that's going to come out Friday morning. A lot of focus will be on that. Um, expectations are fairly high, with consensus that over a million jobs you know, created, with a lot of people sort of whispering that it could be as much as 1.5 million, in part due to some seasonal adjustments. Uh, so this is a definite pickup from you know the jobs numbers we've had throughout the second quarter. It's a key focus because Jay Powell, the Fed chair, basically said last week that we've reached our inflation target. Now we're focused on the jobs number. So if we get you know, strong job growth, that you know further implies right the Fed is on track to perhaps announce some sort of you know, tapering beginning either end of this year or early next year, uh, and that can happen as soon as September. Uh, it also kind of gives us you know comfort in terms of what's the path for you know uh, rate hikes going into the future. But it also reaffirms that the growth story is, is quite strong. So a number, you know, a job growth number in the near range of like one million to say one point two million is probably like the sweet spot. You know, so a solid number in the millions. You know, maybe a little bit officially above expectations, but not so strong that it might cause the Fed to be more aggressive and pull forward some of its policy tightening, but also indicative of you know, strong growth. So that's good. Well, the market will be focused a lot on that. 
there's also other data coming out this week, including the ISM manufacturing gauge you know, later this morning. So signs of, you know, how's the U.S. economy doing? You know, you know we talked on, so, so, you know, the recent data being a little bit you know, disappointing. So we want to see some affirmation that, you know, the data is still quite strong. So that'll be a key focus for the markets. Uh, the status of the Delta variant, you know, as cases rise to see how quickly it's rising. Uh, and in the U.S., we've seen it rise, but the week-over-week change is actually moderating. So perhaps the, you know, the numbers in the U.S. could actually start to peak out really within a few weeks, uh, as they have, you know, in the U.K., where they've already started to roll over. I think which would reinforce the, the you know, conjecture that the Delta variant won't be significant impairment to growth and cause further lockdowns. Uh, and then the final thing is on the infrastructure negotiations. It should pass a vote in the Senate. But before we go into the August recess for Congress, there may be further indications in terms of what is the House going to view in terms of a budget reconciliation deal and what they're willing to support. So I think there's pretty good you know, certainty that this bipartisan deal will pass the Senate. But I think that then the key thing to watch for is what does this maybe indicate in terms of, you know, its success in the House and also a budget reconciliation deal that would entail another potentially you know, two trillion in spending. So we may get some signals on that later this week. That's a key determinant in terms of the policy outlook for the next six to twelve months. Jason, very productive conversation this morning. So thank you for shedding some light on how the Chief Investment Office is thinking about a variety of risk factors and the momentum we've been witnessing in equity markets, along with what to be mindful of on a near-term basis uh, that could yield some market moves. So great catching up with you as always, Jason, and wish you a great week ahead. You're welcome. Have a great week. Thank you, Jason. And again, today we've been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. Uh, These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Now for clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more or receive a copy of any of the publications and blogs directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.